We're doing, we're continuing our series, and um, we've been doing a series since the start of the year. It's called Building from the Bottom Up. It's all about our values, who we are as a church, and we're pressing into what we believe God's calling us to. So, so far, um, I'll not test you, but um, we've looked at the value of connection. We've looked at connection with God. One of the main ways we do that is by worshiping him, by being in his presence. And we've just loved it so much as we've gathered as a church in these last weeks, how we've experienced his presence together, even this morning as we sang those songs. And we've come back again and again to what Moses said to the Lord in Exodus 33. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. So one of our values is that we want to be a people of his presence. We want to carry his presence wherever we go. And as Paul said last week, every good thing starts in his presence. And I'll be honest, as we've journeyed these values together, these, this series, I've started to find myself looking at it in a couple of different ways. So firstly, um, when we've looked at a certain value, I've asked myself, as an individual, how am I outworking this? Am I valuing this? And if so, what am I doing about it? So as I think about the value of worship, connection with God, so I'm thinking in my own times with God, how am I positioning myself to be in his presence? How am I making space for that in my life? How am I making space to listen to his word, to, no, to listen to his voice, read his word, to pray and um, to worship him? So that's the first way I've been kind of looking at these values. And then the second way I've been looking at them is, how are we doing this together as a church? So how are we valuing our connection with God with his presence? How are we making space for that together on a Sunday, in our groups, in every community event, in every single thing we're doing? So I've used that filter again when I've thought about the second value that we've talked about, which was community. As a church, we're called to love one another. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the 59 love one another's in the New Testament. You'll be relieved to hear I'm not going to go over them all again. And I think this slide, just I've just put up the first 10 to show you. So again, I'm using that filter. I'm thinking to myself, as an individual, what are the different communities I am a part of? My family, my neighbors, my friends, my colleagues, other parents I know from the kids at school from Hope's Irish Dancing, from football, how am I, how are we as a family personally living out this value of community amongst the people that we know? And again, my second filter, how are we as a church living out this value of community in our life groups, our events, everything that we do? So I wanted to give you guys a question this morning about these values. First of all, are they values of yours? And if you value connection as presence, worship, if you value community, how are these working out in your own life? And then again, how are they working out together as we journey this together as a church? So last week, so keep those filters in mind as I carry on talking. Last week, Paul began to speak of our value of compassion as we encounter God, as we spend time in his presence and worship and prayer and his word, as we begin to receive his heart we begin to see things as he sees them and he gives us compassion. And we are called to give away what we have received. Last week, Paul said, we're all called to be ministers. His presence is in us by his Holy Spirit and he goes with us. So this week, I wanted to expand on that a little bit more and talk about compassion and specifically talk about God's heart for the poor. We only have to look at scripture to see that God has a special place in his heart for the poor. 
Poverty is mentioned directly or indirectly more than 2,000 times in the Bible. And in the Gospels, we can see Jesus spending a considerable amount of time among the poor, serving them, encouraging them, standing up for them. And he was carrying out the rich biblical tradition that we'd seen from the beginning. And I just wanted to um, share a few words from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, which reveal God's tenderness towards those who are vulnerable in our society. First of all, chapter 10, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy 15, if anyone is poor among your fellow, fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Deuteronomy 15 again, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Also, these verses in Isaiah that are familiar to many of us from Isaiah 58, they reveal that our, our, in our fasting and our eagerness for God is not what he is looking for if we are not concerned to care for those who are poor and hungry, to loose chains of injustice and to set the oppressed free. So it's rooted in the Old Testament, and from these roots, Jesus calls the early church to commit to seek out the poor and dignify them with their prayer. Luke 14, 13 to 14. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So it's all over scripture. If you read that book, you will not miss it. God's heart for the poor. So what do we mean about the poor? And quite often, I think, when we think of the poor or poverty, we think kind of in terms of personal financial weakness. But in the New Testament, the poor were generally seen as those who were powerless in society. They lacked basic necessities to sustain their lives. They were without resources. Maybe they didn't have a voice. They couldn't speak for themselves. The poor are often without power, respect, and material goods. And because of these stresses, can offer, often suffer from relationship breakdown. Basically, the poor are those who are lacking something, basic human need, food, shelter, health, healthy relationships, those who are lonely. So for us as a church, for us as Carrick Vineyard, what do the poor mean to us? Vineyard Church as a whole, it's in our core values. It says we lean toward the lost, the poor, the outcast and the outsider with the compassion of Jesus as sinners whose only standing before God is utterly dependent on the mercy of God. This mercy can only be received in as much as we are willing to give it away. So we as a church movement and we, therefore, as Carrick Fergus Vineyard Church, we want to lean towards those who are suffering or weak because we've experienced the kindness and mercy of God. We're so grateful and we're so thankful for what he's done in our lives. And when we see someone in need, we want to have a heart that is ready to respond with care rather than judgment. And, you know, I can talk to you all morning about the poor and that can maybe seem an abstract thing, like who are the poor? They can feel removed from us, you know. We, most of us, like, we just have so much. We have homes, we have beds, we have food in the fridge, all that stuff. But I believe when it becomes real is when we see their faces, when we know and identify with those who are poor and hurting. 
And I've shared this with um, you guys before, but I remember a few years ago when I went on a trip to Guatemala and um, with a charity and we were working with street children there. And um, it was really great because some of the children had gone into homes where they were being cared for. And we got to take those children to a camp out in the countryside. Um, and for many of them, it was the first time they'd ever been away from the city and all of that stuff. And just taking them to have fun with them, to feed them, to just care for them and love them. And I remember one time during the camp, me and a few girls from the team went to the supermarket to buy some more supplies for food for the camp. And I just totally had a totally different filter when I went to that supermarket. Like going to a supermarket, right, is something we do every single day. But because I knew those children, because I got to know them, I was looking at it through their eyes. So I was thinking... I, I can walk around the supermarket. If I was one of those children, I can't afford to buy any of these things. Or B, would I even be allowed in the supermarket? Because they probably wouldn't let the street kids into the supermarket. So once we get to know um, the poor and the broken, then we actually see what it's like. And one thing that I could not, not mention today was the refugee crisis happening in our world today. It's one of the worst humanitarian disasters involving millions of people. We just have to turn on the news and we see it. And when did that become real? It can just be millions of people figures. For me and maybe for many of you, it became real when we saw that image of that little three-year-old boy in the beach in Turkey. His name was Alan Kurdi. He and his five-year-old brother and his mum were all drawing, trying to reach the Greek island of Kos. They were fleeing from Islamic State in Syria. And the next picture shows him and his brother. They'd been trying to get to Canada um, to reach relatives who'd been trying to sponsor a refugee application for them. You know, I'm not really a political person. We can talk about the politics of this. But I just can't get away from the fact that there's no them and us. It said in that Deuteronomy verse, you're to love those who are foreigners. It's in the Bible. These people are made in his image. They're precious to his heart. You know, God's heart breaks that they're running away because of a war, because of ISIS. His heart breaks because they've got no shelter. They're sleeping in tents in the cold. His heart breaks that parents are putting their children in boats to cross seas to find safety for them. His heart breaks that there's children left alone without their parents. They're being trafficked. They're running away. They're committing suicide because they feel despair. Their promises that they would find safety are not being kept. These children are precious to God's heart, and if we're his people, and we love him, and we love what he loves, then they're precious to our hearts too. Micah 6, verse 8, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. It becomes real when we see their faces and we know their stories. Last year, I went to a seminar at Cosley Coast Women's Conference, and a group of them have started going to the refugee camps in, in Greece. And they shared stories of people they met and how they share with them. They help them however they can. And I know not every single one of you sitting here can go to 
um, on a trip or go to a camp or help. But I love the fact that women from our church brought up bags and bags and bags of clothes for men, women and children in those camps. They filled their boots, they asked around and they collected because they wanted to love those people in Greece who God loves. Um, there's a picture here of our friend Paul Stewart. Um, he's from Cosby Coast Vineyard and that's him, Shen, with one of the boys in one of the camps in Greece. That's, you know, I just love the fact that they're getting to know them and it's personal. Also, our friends at Vineyard Dungannon have been visiting refugees in Calais and Dunkirk for over a year now. They basically load up their camper van full to the brim of stuff and they go and do everything practically they can to help and to pray for people. God's captured their hearts and they just can't help but do something about it. So if you want to know more about that, you can check out VCD Dungannon or Dunkirk Facebook page. And I've been, because of those guys, I think, because I know them, I've really been following that story on the news. And that camp has been dismantled. But there's other camps and there's so many heartbreaking stories of children on their own trying to get to safety. They were told that they would be able to get to the UK and they haven't been able to. And it's terrible. And this is a picture of Brian from Vineyard Dungannon fixing up his camper van. And they're going back in April. And I was talking to my friend Michelle on Friday night. And one of the things they're going to do when they go back is in one of the camps that still exists, um, there's no locks on the toilet doors. So women are ending up being attacked um, when they go to the bathroom. So they're bringing over a whole load of locks. And they're going to put locks on the toilet doors to offer some level of protection for the women. When Paul visited the church in Turkey last year, that was one of the things that they were trying to do to help refugees fleeing from Syria. Uh, You know, I'm just praying that God shows us and opens up to us as a church. How can we care for the poor and the broken in this refugee crisis? And maybe that will be one of the ways as we support the church in Turkey. I just love that we as a church also get to work with Stand By Me. And that's one of the reasons why we decided to work with Stand By Me. <laughs> because we have relationship with the guys here and we have relationship with the guys over there. And we can build that up. So I love that a team from our church are going and are going to get to bring love and care and practical support to the kids in Bokaji where Paul's been before. And you're going to hear about that in a couple of weeks. And you know what? I love that Andy Hamilton from our church has helped people care for the poor by raising awareness, by spending February on the floor. So every night in February, Andy Hamilton slept on the floor. And through people who know him and church and family and friends, he has raised £2,400, which is enough for 20 beds. Yeah. And as you can see from that picture, he even got Paul and Johnny Farrell to spend the night on the floor. Um, The next slide is our sponsor kids. I love that we as a church get to share in the lives and these kids of Bogaji. Again, it's real because we know them. We know things about them. And also we support family work in Denby Dola as well in Ethiopia through Stand By Me. So I just love that we as a church family are doing this stuff. And... Some of you might be sitting here today going, okay, Chantelle, I get it. You told me that it's in the Bible, it's biblical, I believe it's God's heart. I see that I'm called to share my life, to spend myself on behalf of the poor. What can I actually do? What can I do? 
So here's a few things. First of all, I just want to say, seek God's heart and listen to your heart. Um, there's a song that we used to sing, and the line was, Oh, break our hearts with the things that break yours. What are the things that stir your heart? What makes you sad? What makes you angry? What makes you ask questions? What captures your attention? For me, it was that Callie camp being shut down. So I've started following different groups on Facebook, Care for Callie, Help Refugees, keeping in touch with our friends in Glendana. And that just captured my heart. So I want to know what I can do to help. And, you know, I'm just trying to do whatever I can. The second thing is be yourself and bring who you are. As I said, it isn't about just, it's never about us and them. It's about us sharing our lives with others in need. And we receive from them. Like everyone I know who's been on a mission trip just receives more from the people that they meet than they get to give. And just, I'm not just talking about mission trips. I'm talking about every single day. You know, as we share our lives, it can break down barriers. It can create relationships. And often God uses our stories to open up the heart of another to Jesus. I was just thinking about this, you know, just ordinary people that I know in my life. And my friend Mary from another church, Gillian and I met with her a couple of weeks ago. She's really involved in a charity that helps children who um, have suffered from loss in some way, whether that be through bereavement or family breakdown. And the reason why she does that is because when her daughters were six and two, her husband passed away. And she had to work out how to support her daughters through that with the help of her church family. So now God's using her to help other families. I've asked his permission. I was just thinking of Steve a few years ago. Steve had a hard time with his job. He was really down. He just found it difficult. But God came through and God was with him. And since then, we couldn't count the number of conversations Steve has had with, with guys especially who are going through difficult circumstances. And because Steve journeyed that himself, he can share that and, and, and bless and build connection with other people who are hurting. I haven't even asked Malcolm's permission, but I'm going to pick on him. You know, he hasn't been to prison himself, thankfully, or, well, it wouldn't matter. But God's laid that on his heart through conversation. He went, he pushed the door, and now he visits prisoners and shares his heart with them. He gets to pray with them. He gets to see God show up in a dark place, and he's getting other people on board as well, which is amazing. You know, the things that we've struggled with, we're often best positioned to help others. And um, there's a, another wee picture here. I love this. God often uses our deepest pain as the launching pad of our greatest calling. Yeah. So think about what God's done in your life and how you can give it away. The last thing is, do what you can where you are with what you've got. I'm going to pick on someone else, but I won't mention them. I was just talking to someone at church last week. And they've just got loads of kids' clothes. They've just collected them. They've just ended up collecting them. Now they're washing and ironing them, and they're asking God, who are these clothes for? Who can I give them to? They've already given a bag away to their neighbor, and they're blessing someone else and making a connection with that person through a bag of clothes. Caroline, I did ask her permission. As a teacher, she saw kids coming into school who didn't have the right school bag or the right equipment at the start of the year. So now as a church, we have a ministry where we um, get school bags and stuff like that for kids who need them. 
for me personally, I keep thinking about these refugees, so I'm keeping myself informed. I'm signing petitions when I can. I'm connecting for Home for Good. We're forming networks of people who will take refugee children if they're allowed to come here. You know, it's something that God's placed in my heart. So what I do is I keep my heart open and I just look for opportunities. I've received God's mercy. So as I spend time in his presence, I believe I can only truly worship him as I learn to love and value what he does. He cares for the poor and the broken. Jesus defended the other all the way to the cross. So this value of compassion, I'm going to put it through that filter again I mentioned at the start. I've kind of shared, you know, that I'm asking myself individually, what can I do? Lord, as I value compassion, what are you calling me to? And so I'm going to ask us as a church, what are we doing? What can we do? And from the beginning of Carrick Fergus Vineyard, we wanted our compassion ministries to be central. That's why we invest in it. That's why Steve and Elaine head up that ministry. And we're eager to see it grow. But here's just a few things. Whistle stop tour, cat money course, Christmas treat hampers, food bank in partnership with Jordan Victory Church, celebrate recovery, Christian program for people with hurts, habits and hang-ups, revive, outreach and prayer cafe, going out in the streets, bringing the love and hope of Jesus to people in our town, rest, a space for people to have company and receive hope and prayer on a Friday, diversity, our group for people not from these shores to share experience and culture, hospital mum and baby bags, working with social services in the Royal, active listening, providing support to people in terms of in times of great difficulty, working in partnership with PSNI, our school bag initiative. Um, we have an allotment at Eden, and we have big dreams for what it's going to become. People are working hard on it. We want it to be a therapeutic place and a place that provides food. We have other groups, Cornerstone, Sure Start, Compassionate Friends, creating space for them to meet in our venue. God's raising up fostering and adoption in our community. Julie is doing a befriending scheme that you're going to hear about with some of the young adults in a couple of weeks. We're just delighted that families in our church are engaging with this. We support other local organizations, the Relationship Resource Center, and we support internationally Stand On Me. And I believe there is more. That is just the beginning. But this requires us as individuals and us as a church to live out this value of compassion. Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As we display his compassion, it will cost us. We have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to give of our time, like someone is doing, to collect and sort clothes. Look out for our neighbor, give them away. Give of our money to buy a bed for a child in Ethiopia. Give generously to the church to see our compassion initiatives expand and grow. You know, we make ourselves vulnerable as we share our lives and share our stories. We take our own brokenness and we build relationships with others as wounded healers who give away the love and grace and mercy we've experienced. If we value compassion, we need to be open-handed, like it says in Deuteronomy. I just wanted to finish with reading you a story, if that's all right. This story was in Emma Journal, written by a girl called Rachel Scott. She was a typical teenage girl dedicated to following and serving Jesus. And in April 1999, she was killed for her faith in Columbine in the high school massacre that you might remember. I first read this story in my 20s, and as I read it again this week, it impacted me, and I wanted to share it with you. 
It's called Gloves of Conviction. She wrote this herself in her journal. I was opening that day for work on Sundays. No other employees come in until 11, which meant I had two hours of work to do by myself and then open the store for another hour alone with the customers. Usually no one comes in until about 11.30 on a Sunday morning anyway, so I have plenty of time. I couldn't believe how windy and cloudy it was. The cold of the breeze alone could bring you to a chill. It was 10 o'clock, so I flipped the switch for the open sign and unlocked the doors. It must have only been five minutes after that when I heard the doorbell ringing, telling me I had a customer. I went out front and began to put the gloves on, ready to make the first sandwich of the day. I looked up and saw a woman who must have been in her late 40s. She was wearing several layers of clothes. They were torn and dirty. Her face was dark from dirt. She was shivering, and then she began to cough in an almost uncontrollable manner. She looked up at me after she was all right, and she gave me such a warm smile. What can I do for you, ma'am, I asked. She looked at me pleasantly and said, Oh, I was just wondering if you happened to know what time the buses were coming. I have been waiting out in the cold for two hours. Do you think they wouldn't be so late, especially on a Saturday? I felt bad when I told her it was actually Sunday. She looked at me with such embarrassment and shock. Oh, no, she said. I need to get back downtown. I thought it was Saturday. Do you mind if I just sit here for a while until I figure out what to do? I told her no problem. She sat at the table in the far corner. As I looked at her in the situation more carefully, I realized she must have been so poor and maybe even homeless. She was dressed in the dingiest clothes that hadn't been washed in a while. She had a snug winter hat on, three layers, baggy pants, worn through tennis shoes and gloves. Her gloves were turned inside out. They had fringes coming off all sides. I felt right then and there that I should have made her a sandwich free of charge, that I should talk to her, telling her that whatever she did, God loved her and wanted her to trust him and fall into his arms once again. I knew where all of this was coming from. I knew that God was giving me these words and asking me to go and talk to her. But what if, what if, the usual questions and doubts about why I shouldn't. I went back to work trying to forget about it, hoping she would leave soon. My next customer came about an hour after that. She was a woman in her early 30s. She was well-dressed in what looked like a work outfit. She had her hair pulled up nicely and was laced with perfume. I made her some sandwiches, and we were at the cash register when she asked me how long the other woman had been sitting there. I told her about an hour. Did she get anything to eat, the lady asked me. I said no and told her about the buses. Then the lady asked me, if I wouldn't mind making one more sandwich, I looked at her and smiled. I never made a sandwich with such happiness and at the same time guilt. I told the lady no charge, handed her a bag of crisps to go with it. She thanked me and went to the other woman. She handed her the food and began to talk to her. They must have talked for two hours before I saw them leave. As I was cleaning the tables and feeling bad for not talking to the woman myself, I noticed that she had left her gloves. I told God that I was sorry for disobeying him. He told me something that will always give me a boldness in these situations, something that will never make me hesitate to tell others about him. You feel like she missed something because you lost your boldness, but she didn't lose her opportunity. The other woman is sharing with her right now, and she will not lose out on that. You lost. You passed up the chance to gain something. You just let a wonderful flame go past you and into the hands of another. Let this be known, child, when you do not follow through with the boldness and knowledge that I have given you. More than one person is affected by it. You are as well as them.
Last week, Paul shared Jesus' manifesto, if you like, from Luke chapter 3. We're God's people. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus to the poor and the broken and the hurting in our own community and further afield. And he, Jesus said in John 14, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So Jesus says, we can do greater, even greater things than me. So I'm just going to rewrite these words from Luke 4 to all of you, but I'm just going to switch it up. Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on you because he has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 